So this is week 30, and for the first 28 weeks of our series, Unfolding Grace, we've looked at the Old Testament. And what we've seen is that the Old Testament writers, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, were giving us a revelation progressively about how God was going to redeem mankind. You see it through covenants, like to Abraham, Moses, David. You see it through types, men. Moses was the deliverer of Egypt, Egypt representing sin. Moses, that type of Christ. David, the king whose throne would be forever. All of these pointing to it, to something, to, to a redemptive purpose. But as our pastor has taught us a few weeks ago, it was not this. Not the beautiful temple. Not the covenant promises, although they were important. Because God is a God of covenants. Not the types. None of those were it. No, what was it was what our pastor introduced last week when the Apostle Paul, when writing to the churches at Galatia, said the fullness of time had come. When that fullness came, God sent His Son, born of a woman. He revealed Him clearly. This man from humble beginnings, this God-man who set aside His rightful place in heaven to become obedient to a calling, to a point of death. And so last week, we introduced the ministry of Jesus. This week, we're going to continue with that ministry. We're going to look at Mark And this is your reading for next week, Mark chapter 5 through 8. I encourage you to read that. We're going to look at the ministry of Jesus. As it continues, we're going to look at a familiar story. We're going to ask some questions of the text. We're going to look at some of the customs of Jesus. And then we're going to look at some principles of Jesus' ministry, why people followed Him, and I believe those principles are transferable to us, to our daily lives as well. I'd like to do a poll this morning. How many of you have a habit or a custom or a practice that you do daily, weekly, monthly? Can I see your hands? Okay, yeah, some of us have that. Can I say binge watch on Netflix, right? I mean, that's that's my joke. I think I have another one later. So we all have these customs, some of them spiritual, most of them mundane, right? I mean, my mundane customs is when I was practicing as a CPA, when the post office opened at 9 a.m., I was there. I wanted to get my mail. I wanted to see what the temperature was like. That's back in the day of snail mail for you guys. That's when you put a piece of paper in an envelope with a stamp. For you young guys, I'm just... On Fridays after tax season... At 12 o'clock, I was at the golf course. I don't care, come hell or high water. It didn't matter. Don't try to call me at 12 o'clock because you won't find me. That was my custom. I was there. The gospel writers don't record any of the mundane customs of Jesus, but they do, and this is important, they record three things that he did that are worth note and maybe worth considering adopting in our lives as well. The first custom they record is that he attended church, and I put it in quotes, regularly. He attended church regularly. It wasn't church like what we know it. The Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet. The day of Pentecost hadn't occurred. 
But he went to synagogue. The Jews met in synagogue. He was a Jew. He was a rabbi. Scripture is chock full of references where he would go to the synagogue and attend. Luke records it this way, chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth. This was his hometown where he'd been brought up. And look at those four words. And as was his custom, if you have a a paper Bible, I encourage you to circle those. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Those words that are translated, that word that's translated as was his custom means to have this regular practice, to have a tradition, to have a habit. It was something he did. And when I think about the Son of God in the flesh, Emmanuel, going to church, why would he do that? I would propose to you this morning, it was to be an example to us. He wanted to demonstrate fellowship with God, to honor God, and also to be an example. Maybe some of you came back to church right when we started meeting post-pandemic. Praise God for that. Maybe some of you came back in the middle. We understand Maybe some of you have just come back recently. Maybe today's your first day. We've had those today. First of all, I want to welcome you. Thank you. We're glad you're here. We need you. But more importantly, you need God. You need to be here. This was the custom of Jesus. So I want to encourage you in the season of life that's ahead of you in the days and weeks and months ahead to consider this. If this was Jesus' custom, His regular practice, maybe I need to make it mine. The second thing we see that's his custom is he taught. He taught. Mark records it this way, and he, Jesus, left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again and again. Here's those four words. As was his custom, he taught them. Many times in the scripture, you'll see him teaching. Well, you say, and you could say to me this morning, well, Pastor Mike, I am just not a teacher. And I get that. And there is an office of teacher. We all recognize that and honor that. But may I propose to you that we look at the words of Jesus, some of his last words before he left earth and went to heaven. He said this to his disciples. And when you think about the last words of any human, If they have the capability of doing that, they should be important, right? And so he says, all authority has been given to me. What a statement. In heaven and earth. Therefore, as you go about your daily life, make disciples. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. You see, beloved, we don't get a pass. Every single one of us that follows Christ should study carefully what he commanded and being willing and able to teach others. Why? Because it's the commandment of Jesus, because they we want them to live abundant life, because there's been a deposit entrusted to us of the gospel. And may I propose to you today, church, that in so doing, if you will capture this and recognize that it's your opportunity, you will discover a great purpose for your life. You were created for this. The third thing we see 
in the scriptures that he prayed. Luke records it this way, and he came and went out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, a place that Jesus was familiar. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Prayer for Jesus was not an obligatory practice. It was a demonstration of his intimacy with the Father. He was showing us how he sought him to find out his will for his life. The Son of God. Mystery. I'm reminded of his prayer the night before he was crucified, the night before he died, when he's at this very same place, and he's asking his Father, is there a way that this can pass for me? But nevertheless, not my will but thy will be done. Do you need to know what God's will for your life is? So many times we go to the Father, we have needs. We start our prayer with a recitation of the things that we need, and He understands that. But can I encourage you this morning that we should look at the way He taught us to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but really it's our prayer. Jesus is introducing the kingdom of heaven, and He says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When you start your prayers, do you acknowledge that you're speaking to the creator of the universe? The one who's holy? Do you recognize that he desires intimate fellowship with you? Jesus modeled that for us. It's an incredible truth. Our scripture today Our focus in these five chapters will be a story, and I think it's a familiar story. It's the story of the feeding of 5,000. How many of you have ever heard that story? Can I see your hands? Yeah, most of you have, right? It's a very familiar story. But I think today, as we look at this story, we may see some new insights, or at least fresh application of new insights in our lives. And this is one of the few stories that appears in all four Gospels. There's something that's happening there when the Holy Spirit is inspiring these men. They're carried by the winds of the Holy Spirit. Each one of them records this story. And by the way, each of these Gospel writers tells the story of Jesus from a different perspective. Our pastor last week introduced Mark. That's the gospel that's the focus today. John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. He was a a faithful worker. There's another story for another day about he and Paul, but they he became close with Peter. Most scholars think that Mark's gospel is the story of Peter. It's Peter's sermons. It's his teaching. But today we're going to look at all four stories, four Gospels of this account, because we're going to see some different nuances, some different details, some different insights. I want to remind us as we read the Scripture in a moment that the Gospels are not contradictory, complementary. And I want you to hear these words from the familiar story, and I'm reminded, and even now, Lord Jesus, may your Spirit Work with power, move with power. As we read 
these words. These are life-changing words. This is God-breathed. has the power to change lives. May it pour into our souls and bring about transformation and insight and direction this day. Then let's make some applications both personally and corporately. Look at Mark chapter 6 with me if you would. We'll start with verse 30. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they, the apostles, and Jesus had no leisure even to eat. Let me set the stage for us here. So what had happened? Jesus had sent his disciples out to go through the surrounding towns in Galilee and Israel to tell them of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God had come. And then in that same time frame, something tragic had happened. John the Baptist was murdered. Sometimes when I think of Jesus, I'm reminded that at this very moment in space and time for us, He's at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. He's the glorified, risen Christ. But I want us to be reminded this morning that He was also a man. And His beloved cousin, the one who had been given the mandate to proclaim His coming, had been murdered. So He's in mourning. And He's telling His disciples, let's get away. Let's go away to a desolate place. Let's just, the crowds have been flocking him for, for weeks now. Have you ever had a time in your life where you just wanted to get away? You just say, man, just, just don't bother me now, right now, right? Well, you can see that in these words. Jesus wanted to get away. He wanted to get away with his beloved ones. Let's go to a desolate place. But look what happens. And they went away, they're in a boat, to a desolate place by themselves. They're on the Sea of Galilee, they're going to a desolate place. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. (laughs) Do you ever walk out of a room and you go, hey, please don't look at me right now, please, I mean, please... He did not want to see crowds, or at least we might not want to. But look what he does. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. There it is. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. 
And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces. And of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is the word of the Lord. I want to make a few preliminary insights this morning. The first one is, I want to suggest to you that this story is maybe misnamed. We call it the feeding of the 5,000. Why? When you look in your Bible, that's what it says, right? In the heading, feeding of 5,000. Do you think there might have been some women and children there that day? Yeah, there were. In fact, one of the other gospel writers, Matthew, says there were. Acknowledges that there were women and children. So let's do the math. You've got one man, 5,000 men. Let's just say for purposes of conversation, they have a spouse and one child, which we know historically they had more than that. That's (laughs) 15,000. Right? That's 15,000 at least. So we've misnamed this episode. This was a much larger crowd than 5,000. This was maybe a bigger miracle than we think. Five loaves and two little sardines. (laughs) The second thing I want to highlight today or ask is why is this story in the Scripture? Why would the Holy Spirit make it a point to have this story repeated four times by the Gospel writers? (laughs) It's good. As you read... Boy, I encourage you to read Mark 5-8 through next week. Would you please do that? Would you let the Word of God speak to you? And as you read those four chapters, I want to suggest to you that all of a sudden, what you're going to see is a Savior who delivers a demoniac. Legions of demons had tormented this man for years. No one could shackle him. Jesus comes along, sets him free. There was a woman who had an issue of blood for years. There was a great throng of crowd around Jesus. She's wanting to get to Him. If she could only get to the Savior, she believed that her life would be forever changed. She reaches out and just touches the hem of His garment. And she's healed. One of the rulers of the synagogue, his little daughter dies. Jesus tells him she's not dead. He raises her from the dead. That's the background of this story. He's, and then of course John the Baptist dies. So we have a picture of a Savior, of the Son of God. And he takes these five little loaves and two fish and he miraculously multiplies them to feed everyone. This passage is part of the description of our Savior. 
is to say that there was never one like him. There's never been one like him since. He was the Son of God, and in him was all the fullness of the power of God. This passage is principally to teach us about Jesus, that he's the kind of Savior that can take little and make much. He's the kind of Savior who can do miracles in our lives. And by the way, church, he's still doing miracles today. There's a third insight here. It's from a character who's sometimes overlooked in this story. And the reason he's overlooked is he only appears in one version. That's the version of the gospel in the gospel of John. It's the little boy. John 6, 9 says it this way. Andrew Simon Peter's brother said to Jesus, there's a boy here. When Jesus asks, is there any food? <laughs> what do you have? Andrew says, well, there's a boy here who's got five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Now, how old do you suspect this little boy was? Because Scripture just says it's a boy. Well, in my mind, I don't know for sure how old he is, but I believe he's probably nine or ten. And why does he have five loaves and two fishes with him? Well, his mom packed him lunch that day. She packs him a lunch. He heads out. He heard that there was a great crowd of people. He heard there was a man who was doing miraculous things, who was teaching in ways that were uh, unheard of. Something special was going on. He wanted to see that. So he heads out with lunch in his bag. And when he gets there, all of a sudden people are asking anybody, well, do you have any food? And here's this little boy. And he says, I sure do. I've got five loaves and two fish. How many of you ever had a nine-year-old boy or ten-year-old boy? Do you think they give up their lunch? <laughs> but he does. There's a theologian, William Barclay, and he wrote in his daily study Bible that whenever this kid was willing to say, I have five loaves and two fishes, that was the miracle. And Barclay goes on to say it was a miracle of generosity that the kid was willing to give up his lunch, right? <laughs> and what Barclay says is because the kid was willing to give up his lunch, then all these grumpy adults that were around said, well, because if the kid's generous, I'll pull out the food I have in my cloak and I'll give it as well. And that was the miracle. that The food came from all these people being moved by the generosity of this kid. And they were contributing. But I don't think so. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture didn't say that anybody else offered any food. The Scripture said one boy. 15,000 maybe. The Scripture says this little kid said, well, I don't have much. I have five little pieces of bread and two sardines. But I'm willing I am willing to give what I have to you, Lord. Something remarkable is going on here. 
this little boy came to this remote place to see a show. But what he witnessed firsthand was the remarkable compassion and love of Jesus. Can you see it? Crowds of hungry people pressing in. It's late in the day. They have physical needs. They're all hungry. And Jesus responds to them with this remarkable compassion. I want you to watch this. There's a principle here. Beloved, please hear this. All of us come to points in our lives where we think, man, I don't have much to offer. Maybe some of you in here today are at that point. You think, I don't have much. All I've got is a few loaves. A couple of fish. What difference can what I have to offer make? I want to say to you, church family, that when like that little boy you take whatever God has given you and you put it in the hands of Jesus by faith. He's the kind of God that can multiply it and bless it and use it for His kingdom purposes in a greater way than you ever imagined or thought. So I want to ask you something. Are you willing to take whatever you have Whatever you have in your hands today, are you willing to say, Lord, I release it to you? I give you my marriage. I give you my kids. I give you my business. I give you my health. I give you every gift, every talent, every amount of energy I have, I give to you. And then just see what he'll do. Sometimes we can't see all the way to the end of something, of a situation that we're in. But I think what the scripture is saying, I think what the scripture is teaching is be like that little boy who's willing to take his little and in Jesus's hands, his little became much. So I want to ask some questions of the text. The first question I want to ask is, why did large crowds follow Jesus? We see that in the narratives over and over. Large crowds would follow him. And look at it again with me, and this is from Luke's version of this story. It's Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 10. It says, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. That's the desolate place, and it is desolate. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them. Circle that word. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. I want to suggest today that this story, this feeding of the 5,000 story, it reveals to us four reasons why large crowds why people love to follow Jesus. And the first one is he offered an authentic welcome. He offered an authentic welcome. Can you imagine? He gets off the boat. He's grieving. He's mourning the loss of his friend, of his family. 
I think he's worn out. He wants to get away. And there's this crowd. He didn't say, like I might have been tempted to say, hey, it's my day off, guys. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know. No. No, he welcomed them. And it wasn't, do you know the difference? You guys know the difference, right, between an authentic welcome and one where people go, they welcome you, but they really don't want you around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right? No, he welcomed them. They knew he wanted them there. Even in his mourning and in the personal limitations, that's the wrong word, the personal experience of his human experience, because he had no limitations. But in his personal experience, he still welcomed them. The second thing we see is that he had genuine compassion for them. In Jesus' human disposition in his life, it fueled these acts of kindness and mercy. When he encountered those who were vulnerable, when he encountered those who were suffering, when he encountered those who had immediate needs, he had compassion on them. It's over and over in the Scriptures. The Scriptures speak when he would encounter people, he had compassion. Responding with kindness and mercy. Mark says it this way in verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw that great crowd and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The third thing is he taught them God's truth in a way that connected to their lives. I'm always fascinated by the way Jesus taught. I, I realize as much as I can that He was the, the very Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I went to seminary in my 50s. I don't recommend that. <laughs> but some of the terms they would use, have you ever had people teach to you in like high theology and the, using the terms, right? The, I used to think if I could spell them, I could pass the class, right? But... <laughs> But he didn't do that. He taught in ways that people could understand and make it personal and apply to their lives. In fact, the gospel writer Mark says this, people love to be around him. They love to hear him. They delighted in his teaching. They enjoyed him. And then the last one, the last reason that so many people would follow him as he brought healing to their hurts. He helped them. He healed their bodies. He healed their souls. He helped restore their relationship with their heavenly father. Listen, church, he welcomed them. He had compassion upon them. He loved them. He taught them in ways that they could understand and apply. He brought deep healings to their hurts. No wonder. No wonder large crowds followed him. But I want to ask a second question of the text. It's this. How did the disciples feel about the crowds? 
Well, I want to tell you that the Scripture suggests that they felt much different than Jesus. <laughs> Look at it with me in Mark, starting verse 35. It says, When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But look at how he answered them. He said, you give them something to eat. They said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii? And by the way, that's eight months wages. Shall I take eight months of our wages and buy bread enough to feed these people for just one day? Now look, some would say they're just being realistic. I mean, the sun's going down. We're in, in a place far away from any town, any restaurant, any place where we can buy food. We don't have the money. We don't have the budget. Let's have a little committee meeting over here and we can figure out how we're going to do this. That's my joke. That's the second joke of the day. We can make a decision. We can do vote on a budget proposal. And Jesus says, no. I don't want you to do that. And do you know what the bottom line was? The bottom line was this. The price for serving that crowd was just too high. It was just too high. You see on one hand why people follow Jesus, His great compassion, His love, the way He taught, His welcome in spite of His suffering and loss. They knew He loved them. He healed their hearts. And then you see the disciples saying, send them away. We don't have the money. So faced with this dilemma, what was Jesus' plan? Scripture is so winsome in this way. It's in Matthew chapter 14, Matthew's account of this story. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They answered, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus says, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Do you see Jesus' plan here? When the crowd came, Jesus planned to use the disciples. Church, Jesus' plan is to use you. To use you. The next part of His plan, it's in your notes. He planned to use those disciples and He plans to use the resources that you already have. You may be like that little boy like we talked about earlier. You may think, I don't have much to offer. Oh, I beg to differ, beloved. You have much to offer. The church needs you. Christ is calling you. So what was the result? Verse 20 of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, says this. They all ate and were satisfied. Then the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women. 
and children. You know what all this points to? It points to the truth that the Apostle John highlights in his gospel in chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Can I ask you a question? Did you come to this place today with a hungry heart? Did you come to this place today with a thirsty soul? Are you in a place today in your life where maybe like that little boy, you don't think you have much or what you have to offer doesn't wouldn't make a difference? Are you in this place today like maybe that great some of those of the great crowd that had physical needs and emotional needs and spiritual needs? And they loved to hear him teach and they knew that he could heal them. And they knew they that he welcomed them. They knew that he had great compassion on them. I want to say to you today that the same Jesus that met that crowd in that desolate place, the same Jesus that welcomed them in the midst of his sorrow, the same Jesus that had great compassion upon them and taught them the things of the of the kingdom of God, the same Jesus that fed them and used the disciples and the resources they had, that same Jesus is alive today. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, He can forgive your sin. He can restore you after failure. He can give you hope and a purpose and direction and a future. The same Jesus is saying to you today, come to me. I will meet the deepest hungers of your soul. After all, I am the bread of life. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word, your timeless, unchanging, God-breathed word that gives to us the story, the beautiful story of the ministry of Jesus. Father, I believe today that there are men and women in this room that need a touch from you, a touch that only you can give. Father, based on the finished work of your son on the cross, based on his blood. I plead the blood of Christ over them today and asking you in the power of the name of Jesus that you would touch every soul here today that needs your touch. I pray today that they would know that maybe what they think they have to offer is little, but that in the kingdom it's much. Bless them, Lord, today. Use them. Pour out your compassion upon them. Bring your healing into their lives. In the name of Jesus and the authority of his name we pray. Amen.